I am feeling confident and it's been my goal UTMB since before the injury for this year specifically to go up there and, and do something special. And, you know, I have ambitions to be in that on that podium for sure. That was Jason Schlarp. And this is episode 93 of the Inspired Souls podcast. Hi, I'm Carolyn and I'm a roadrunner. And I'm Kim and I'm a trail runner. Welcome to our podcast, where we bring the communities of trail and road running together and explore the parallels between running and life. Today, we are honored to host Jason Schlarp as a guest on the show. He is a champion professional trail ultra runner, coach, military veteran, and proud father. Jason's most notable achievements include winning the Hard Rock 100 and Run Rabbit Run, as well as finishing as the top American in the Ultra Trail du Mont Blanc, which was fourth place in 2014. Jason has had a long and colorful professional running career filled with adventures all over the globe, where he seeks out big mountains in remote regions. In February of last year, Jason tore his ACL and meniscus while alpine skiing, an event that presented a very different kind of challenge. In this episode, we talk about how his relationship with running has changed and also what has remained consistent over the years. We discuss his recovery and return to running post-surgery and what the experience taught him. And finally, we discuss Jason's plans to return to UTMB in August this year with the goal of becoming the first American to win the event. This is one power-packed episode, and we hope you enjoy it. Jason, welcome to the Inspired Souls podcast. Carolyn and I are really happy to have you on tonight. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to talk to you all and, and uh, see what, uh, what, what fun we can get into. Well, you come highly recommended from some of our listeners, and I know I've been following your career and your running for a long time. We actually just decided a few seconds ago, we'd better hit record because we just started talking about so many amazing things that uh, we want to make sure that you, our listeners, get to, to hear it all. So um, Jason's got some interesting um, history, some interesting things that have happened to him in the past, as well as some exciting things coming up. So we're going to hear about it all, hopefully, in this short hour. Jason, why don't you get us started with, you know, just a brief summary of who you are and what you do. I know, you know, there's a lot of people who will need no introduction, but some of our listeners may not know who exactly you are. So if you can just introduce yourself, that would be great. You bet. The name's Jason Schlarb, and I live in Durango, Colorado, uh, which is at the four corners of Colorado, Arizona, Utah, New Mexico, um, in the southwest, really far away from any interstate. It's a small town, 17,000 people. I live at 8,100 feet in a small cabin. I've been there for seven years. I am an ultra mountain trail runner. That's that's kind of my my favorite kind of running. Uh, longer ultras, the higher, the more technical, the steeper, the more exotic, the the, the farthest away in, in, in China or Europe or wherever. That's kind of my jam. That's that's where I, I have the most fun. Um, and it's it's also luckily where I, I, I perform the best. My my story, I have a eleven year old son, his name's Felix. He's he's in Durango with me, and uh, I've been running since competitively since the mid nineties forever and ever. I was a soccer player and then kind of got burned out right before college. And I was, you know, planned on running in college or I was playing soccer in college, but uh, kind of just 
quit cold turkey. I was always really good at running and, you know, midfielder, kind of really good endurance. And then it just felt like the, those weird, geeky distance runners were having a lot more fun without as much pressure <laughs> of uh, making special teams and doing all kinds of political kind of stuff and switched and, and have never gone back. But uh, I did a long time running um, track and field uh, in college at you know, Division One University at uh, Montana State University uh, for five years and ran the steeplechase, 1500. I avoided the 5K and 10K because it was too long. <laughs> it was too boring. <laughs> too many okay. laughs. Um, but I fell in love with the trail there. And, uh, you know, in Bozeman is a mountain town, just gorgeous, beautiful. Uh, I'm, I'm a skier. I've always been a skier, even in college and getting in trouble with my coach. Um, just always loved the mountains, but I wanted to run fast. I wanted to, to see how quick I could go. I wanted to take part in the universal sport of, you know, that measured flat, short distances, you know, the Olympic kind of events and see what I could do there. I knew about trail running. I knew about ultra running, you know, after college back in, you know, the late nineties, early two thousands, not, I didn't know about that, but, um, you know, I, I heard about that. I saw that and I was like, you know, it's a whole bunch of old guys just kind of jogging around them in the mountains. I really <laughs> want to be competitive. You know, I'm 20 something early thirties, no thanks. And, uh, kind of just waited, uh, I kind of regret that now, but also I don't in that I was able to develop and learn a lot about being fast, about training my body and endurance, strength, power, sustainably training, all of those kind of things that when I stepped into ultra running in 2010, I found that nobody in trail running really kind of listened to that or understood <laughs> that or obeyed that. Um, and, you know, some of the icons of that, you know, that past era, you know, like Jeff Rose and Anton Krupichka, it was all about time on feet and running as much as you can. And just it, it's not a, a running competition. It's an eating competition and, and all kinds of, you know, and then, then, you know, a little bit after that, it turned into you need to just run as much vert and miles as you possibly right, can. Right. Yeah. You know, that was kind of the Tony era. Yeah. You know, 2008 or nine to maybe 2014, 15, 16, maybe even. And then, you know, it's progressed, you know, to what it is today where we have athletes like Jim Walmsley and Hayden Hawks and Tom Owens and, and, and other, other international runners, too, that um, or even, you know, back in the day too, Adam Campbell, you know, speaking mm -hmm. of a Canadian that brought that expertise of really speeding Sage Canada as well, yes. you, know, one, yeah. you know, who's been around now almost as long as I have that, you know, introduced that, that those roadies. And so I've kind of gone on a tangent already, but you know, that's my background. That's what I used to do. That's what I do now. Um, I'm also a coach. Um, you know, I coach about 20 athletes. Um, I have a coach as well, David Roach, who I've been working with for half a decade. And, you know, I've been learning and learning and learning so much. And even, you know, it just keeps changing. It's amazing. It's really, really incredible from nutrition to short strides mm. to, you know, really focusing on threshold stuff to, you know, still doing a lot of vertical, 
So it's been a really, really fun deal. I'm also a race director uh, for three different races, one in Texas called the Sky Island um, 50K and Marathon, and then also Spirit Trail Race, which just happened this last weekend in Memorial Day here in the U.S. and Colorado, and then one in Durango, my home, during the fall time that runs up to uh, 10,000 feet and uh, in the Aspen's fall colors. So that's my jam. That's what I do. That's where I've been. And here I am. So, <laughs> Wow, you are a pro at summarizing and covering about five of our questions all at once. So that was great. Um, I, yeah, I feel like I know you even better now. So, you know, let's maybe just spin back a little bit to dig into just a few pieces of what you just talked about. So you talked about before you decided to start going long in 2010, you focused on speed. So were you mainly road running at that time or were you running track or what were you doing in the like 2000 to 2010 era? I graduated in 2002 and I went into the military as uh, through Air Force ROTC at, at uh, Montana State University. And I commissioned, became a lieutenant, and I was um, disqualified for being a pilot, which was my ambition, like a lot of people in the, the Air Force or young guys and uh, with aspirations to go into the Air Force. But my hearing really sucks. So I, I did, wasn't able to do that. And the, the next best thing for me was like, I'm going to do business. I want to do something where I can get experience and then, you know, just do four years and get out. Um, uh, you know, and that, that's a way I can serve and then also have a career afterwards. That was my, my feeling and thoughts. But I ended up finding out that the military, there is uh, friendship through sport was the slogan. And they have programs to compete both in the U.S. against each other, armed force championships, we called it, where we would compete against the Navy, the Army, the um, Marine Corps, and uh, sometimes there was a few Coast Guard people. But we would have these championships, you know, for both cross-country at our U.S. national championships, uh, USATF, and we, the military would show up and compete against each other. And then the top athletes from that would travel to this thing called SISM, which mm -hmm, is, mm -hmm. it's a fascinating thing. And it, it's, uh, it's, it's something that most everybody doesn't know about, even in the running world. It basically, uh, upwards of like 30 countries get together and compete. And some of these nations also bring their national team like Oman and the Middle East, uh, even sometimes the, the French and, and, and the British. And it, it just depends on the country. But competing against you know, like Olympians or national hopefuls, they kind of like take these Olympians and they say, and I'll, I'll back up too. the United States does that also with this program called the World Class Athlete Program. For instance, at the Boulder Boulder this weekend in, in Colorado, which is one of the biggest 10Ks in North America, I believe, uh, most competitive, uh, the guy who won first time since 1980 or something like that, he was uh, in the army and basically the army enlists him or sometimes they're officers, but usually enlisted. And they basically say, you have the ability to, you know, represent the country and we will support you. And then you also are in the military and then serve as well. So anyways, the, 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 the world has a world championships and it's oftentimes the year before or year two years before or something like that, it, it, it's oftentimes even in the same location as the Olympics are going to be, um, you know, it's, it's been in, in Brazil and, 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 and I happened to go to the cross country world championships 
and in uh, Tunisia once, in Switzerland. And then I got to go to Europe and compete against air forces in Europe that are part of um, USAFE, United States Air Forces Europe and, and Air North, which is kind of a whole bunch of countries in, in Europe that we would go against the Italians, the uh, Netherlands, the French and the Germans. It was really, really fun. It was really, really cool. It was kind of a continuation of kind of like the semi-professional running. And I was able to travel and do all this fun stuff. And it was great. And get paid for it. <laughs> yeah. But I had a regular job. I wasn't a world-class right. athlete. I was like a, you know, sub 15, you know, uh, 225, 227, 228 marathon kind of guy. But um, that was good enough to make those teams. And I was also working full time as a, an officer. So it was, and I also used to drink quite a bit too in the military. So I, I'm surprised I even ran that really? fast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Every week. So that was part of my past. And that kind of like kept me, I was really blessed with that to be able to experience that and also continue to get fast, gain endurance, all that kind of stuff. But, um, you know, then I eventually got interested after um, in 2010, um, after doing the Marine Corps Marathon, I ran 227. And I was like, I'm going to go do this North Face run in San Francisco that has $10,000 for first place. This uh, this sounds absolutely awesome. You know, it's competitive and it's in San Francisco. Let's see what happens. And I'm really curious what how the body will react to that. And I think at that race, there's Dave Mackey. Um, Dakota Jones was one place in front of me. I, I think I was fourth or something like that. And I've never run a road race since. Not that I'm like against road racing, but I loved it and I still love it. And I, I never turned back. And so it's been 12 years almost. I eventually did some, some, some wins that got me some money, but not that first 50 miler. Okay. So that, yeah, it was kind of a one and done. I'm now a trail runner. Um, after the North run, the North face I've, I've ran in the the Hills there and in the headlands of San Francisco. And it's absolutely amazing. I can see why you get addicted and hooked after that. So, you know, here you are, you now you now have discovered the world of trail, not only trail running, but ultra running. So like, what was the, the evolution of, of moving, you know, forward in that path and then eventually turning pro. How did that happen for you? Um, you know, that was a great first step by getting fourth behind Dakota and Dave Mackey and all that kind of stuff that got some attention, uh, for myself. And then, um, I became Dave Mackey lived in Boulder. I lived in Boulder. My last assignment was in Boulder. I was teaching ROTC at the university of Colorado and um, Dave introduced me to Hoka and he basically said, this guy's really awesome. He's, you know, fast, he's young and uh, bam, I was with Hoka just like that when it was a brand that like, it was almost like a, a privilege or an honor to have Hoka because it was really, really hard to get the shoes because the founders were not the best businessmen. They were amazing athletes and entrepreneurs. But uh, anyways, I got in with Hoka. Um, I also got in with uh, a few other brands uh, back in the day, Flora, which is a French, I mean, a French, uh, a, a Canadian company that used to sponsor a lot of athletes in the U.S. and pay them. And I got out of the military, had no 
belief that I would be a full-time paid athlete, but I kept running. Um, the sport continued to really grow at that time. And, uh, you know, some opportunities came around and I started to make some money and uh, decided that I didn't want to go back to work. I didn't want to go into defense contracting or business acquisition stuff for the military. Um, and so I, I moved to Missoula. I enrolled to go do physical therapy uh, school. Really? At the University of Montana in Missoula and realized it was too much commitment to to during the summer times and I wanted to travel and race. Yeah. And so I left Missoula and came to Durango and I've been there since. Um and so that's kind of the evolution of that, but you know I had some some key wins, you know Run Rabbit Run was uh instrumental in my career mm-hmm. and also financially it was like 12 to 15,000 and I won it three times. Mm. And so that really helped. And then, you know, going to UTMB and getting fourth place, um, you know, and then really kind of the one of the maybe the most uh, known accomplishment for, for me is is uh, tying um, with mm-hmm. Killian at Hard Rock and, and running yes. under under 23 hours, which, you know, only Killian has done until this last year. Um, so that that really established me and I was able to do that. And I, my, my brand, I guess was like, I, I think I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast is that I like to travel. I like to do international stuff. I like to do Chinese, Asian, uh, European races, races in Argentina and, uh, do, do some films. You know, I've done like, I think maybe 15 different short films and medium length films. Yeah, I actually went down a rabbit hole this Saturday night <laughs> doing my research for this podcast. And I watched all the Run Around the World episodes. And yeah, you have some amazing documentation of your adventures that, I mean, you will be able to cherish for years. And you put together these films? Um, at the very beginning, I did, uh, I did a film very amateur in the Alps. And uh, run uh, where we basically went point to point and stayed in refugios, only carrying a change of clothes and a credit card. And you know, you, eat, you can eat food there, and, and it was it was fun, it was awesome. And then got a little bit more serious and went to Patagonia and did it ourselves. And you know, paid uh, Joel Wolpert and another guy, Bobby, to to do the filming and editing. And then, um, you know, I worked with Julebo for a few films, which is a sunglass company, um, did some stuff internationally with them. And then Run Around the World came about and with my partner at the time, Meredith, where we did all kinds of fun stuff. And, and you know, Ultra had supported that and Ultimate Direction and, and a few other brands and really was kind of like a travel log adventure kind of fun thing. And I, I really, really loved it. I, I, I honestly wish it would have done better. Um, in that it was just a, a good storytelling piece, but it's, it's all about, you know, distribution and, and getting brands behind stuff and then getting a followership and it never really took off as well as we'd hoped. So it, it didn't, it didn't pay the mortgage. Let's just say that mm. so, <laughs> it was a passion project. The, all the, the experience was worth it and going to these places and then, you know, to be able to show my son, you know, as, yeah. as he, he yeah. grows up and. 
It's cool. What an amazing opportunity for him. So what of all these places, let's just go there for a second of all these places you've traveled in the world. What were some of your favorites? What stand out as like that? That was stellar. That was stunning. Um, Stunning. You know, Ushuaia in Argentina, uh, there was a UTMB race there for one year. And if Ushuaia is at the very tip, the most southern point, you know, before you go to Antarctica. And the tree line is at, I don't want to mess this up. I think it's at three or 400 meters. Um, and then at like 600 meters is, you know, uh, glaciers. And it is just beautiful and incredible, super remote, crazy, crazy environment. And that was like so spectacular. It snowed during the race. I was running through like shin deep snow and it was, it was incredible. And and then looking down into the ocean where there's whales and stuff. And it was just, mm-hmm. that was a real special trip, but you know, going to China and running up to 15,000 feet and experiencing the culture of the Chinese, um, maybe the most, ex- I think one of the most exciting experiences for the films was to do um, Oman in the Middle mm. East. Mm. And I was kind of like, I want to experience the Middle East, um, ex- you know, in, in addition to just going there to Iraq as a deployment when I was in the military. I was like, I want to go and like see another country. And Oman ended up being such an amazing place with really great, friendly people that the Sunni and Shia like get along there and the Christian and Muslims get along there. And it's kind of the Swiss, Switzerland of the Middle East. And I had no clue. I didn't even know exactly where Oman was, to be honest. And, you know, the, it, it, and the fact that it had real mountains, like 3,000 yeah. 3, meter mountains. Uh, I got to see, you know, the race happened, I think, two or three years. And now it doesn't exist, unfortunately. But, like, I still have lots of friends and, like, social media contacts and people that have actually, you know, that I've worked with in coaching. And they, the, the passion and, like, excitement for these people to, like, go and explore their mountains um was unlike anything else i've experienced even more so than asia it was uh that was a real special one i was and it you was know my brother hard. sorry hard yeah. yeah my brother used to live in abu dhabi and he said to me you know around the time that it was going you need to come out and do this race like he knew nothing about ultra running but he knew in that area of the world this race was was a must do and i'm kicking myself now because as you say i can't now but it's 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 uh it's awesome that you got to experience that. Sorry, I interrupted you. Any other any other highlights you want to mention? The the Oman race too, I'll also mention. It was basically a sky race, which if you don't know what that is, it's like very technical and very steep. And there was I think, you know, in 2 miles like I think it was like three and a half thousand feet of vert or, or you know, 3 miles. It it was it was like a vertical kilometer. And it was at like 60 or 70 kilometers into the race. It was unsafe. And the markings were little green reflectors on the rocks. And you just follow these reflectors and scramble. And most people did it in the night. And it was, I, I mean, I, I finished and, and um, 
the two race directors or the founders of UTMB were there and they, um, Oh man, I can't remember Patricia. I think anyways, I walked up to her. I was like, this is, this is too dangerous. You know, this is. Did you have to clip in during that race? Did they have areas you, you had to clip into ropes? Yeah. 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 You had to wear a helmet. But this place that I'm describing didn't have that. And it was later in the race. And it was so incredible and so wild, but also so scary. Uh, very, mm-hmm. very scary. But those were some highlights of, of, of particularly the filming and then traveling that um, are priceless mm-hmm. to me. Well, this sounds absolutely amazing. And I can see why you've left the roads. Like Just hearing you describe all of these places and how running's taken you all over the world, um, it, it's very cool and inspiring. And I definitely want to hear more about that tie with Killian Journey at, at Hard Rock. But I want to also go back for a moment, just because I, I do bring the, the road running side of things to this podcast. Um, it's very interesting to me that you know, you spent such a long time in your early years, like high school, college, developing your speed that, you know, when you finally found the trails, I have to imagine that then when you started to do the long and slow runs in the mountains, um, that had to have helped you a little bit. So how do you think spending time like years and years developing that speed has helped you as an ultra runner? It was absolutely essential for my success to have, uh, you know, a decade or two working on being fast, yeah. uh, because the the more run economy and speed that uh, you know you can develop, the, the the better you can you know jog around, you know, and do these long mountain races, mm-hmm. and it was, it was, it was essential. And it was not only just essential because my, my muscle development and recruitment and, and all the different cardiovascular things and just efficiencies biomechanically, you know, I, I used to be really back in the back seat and I learned and, and gained a lot of efficiency through running fast and, and, and doing that. I mean, if I would have just tried to start running, you know, when I was 35 or something like that, I would have been a completely different athlete. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I wouldn't have had that success, but then also, you know, a lot of those lessons learned for, for, for my, you know, cognitive understanding of how to perform and, and train more specifically, um, you know, and, and, and understanding that, you know, perceived effort stuff and, and, and how to do all these different kind of workouts. It's, it's a, it's quite an education and a master's mm-hmm. degree, you know, it, it's, yeah. it's, it's a lifelong learning process and, you know, it would have, it would have changed. It, it, I would have been a different person. Yeah. So in that sense, are you kind of glad that it all played out the way it did where you had that development and then fell in love with the trails because I think a lot of people fall in love with the trails and have sort of skipped that developmental step absolutely yes yes you know I I work with a lot of those athletes you know that just love trails and they just want to run lots of volume invert and it's like "Mm, we need to do something else first you know, yeah. we need to do short strides. We need to do threshold stuff. We need to, you know, you need to build strength and, and power and do short hill intervals, not, you know, just go see how fast you can run up, uh, you know, a five kilometer climb. Yeah, it's interesting to see that and experience that. And, you know, another point to that this story, too, is that 
I was so excited to get away from speed when I first switched over that, you know, I was kind of like looking at Anton Krupichka and these guys. And I was like, I just want to go wander around in the mountains all day long. And I don't want to go back to that track ever. And I know no concrete, no pavement. You know, I won't even run a trail race that has a little bit of that. I'm going to just, you know, it's all the purest, you know, go out and do that. And I kind of, not kind of, you know, to be completely humble, I, I went and just indulged and I left all of that mm-hmm. understanding of speed and run economy and, and, and balance. And, you know, I was running 120 mile weeks with 20,000, 30,000 vert and it worked. It worked for a couple years. And that's, you know, I did some amazing things. And then all of a sudden I realized that I would go out and try to do a kind of a, a road smooth trail or something like that. And I was out there waddling around like, and this is, you know, coming from a guy that never ran easy runs slower than 715 pace. I was out there running eight, nine minute miles. You know, I was, you know, just shuffling and I was like, and I was also really getting, getting really tired. And also my body was like, you know, I was maybe five pounds lighter than I should be and that I am now. And all of these things kind of started to pile up. And, you know, I had a race that I didn't do well. And that's when I got a coach. And I, I realized, mm, okay. you know, I, and, you know, there, there's a little bit of an evolution and it's not just that story, but I started to do some shorter yeah. stuff and realizing that, but I, I didn't fully commit to it until I was like, okay, I'm giving the reins to somebody else. I need right. to go back. There's some new things that have happened in the sport for speed development, for run economy, for, you know, it's not uh, what I was doing, you know, in 2002 or 2008, even I needed to work with somebody like David, who is super Mm -hmm. progressive and was able to help me to come back to the light. But I didn't forget all those things. And I do know so much about, you know, how that worked through those, you know, that 15 years of running fast. So that's, that was my experience with that, getting both the, the full indulgence in the ultra mountain running and, and then also, you know, having the speed and then finding that balance of both. Right. Because it's yeah. always a bit of a blend, right? And we're probably what happened at first was like, it was a novel stimulus for you to be running these 120 mile weeks. You've been doing all this speed and now, so, oh, this works, like running the 120 mile weeks works. And then it works until it doesn't work anymore. And then you've got to bring some of that novelty back into the picture and some of that variety. And we all have blind spots. Like I am a firm believer that even coaches need coaches because we need somebody with an objective set of eyes to look over our training and and offer, you know, what that next novel stimulus is going to be. So uh, it just sounds like your relationship with running has really changed over the years like did you want to expand at all on that like you've dabbled in it all it sounds like but where are you at with your relationship with running right now you know it's kind of complicated sometimes I I, you know I want to be competitive I am going to be competitive and I'm doing the things that I absolutely should do to get fast but also stay healthy and you know Mm -hmm. have that longevity um, because you know cheating, you know, this, this, this called cheating, you know, doing too much or too, 
too too much vert or, or or volume or even speed work, you know, doesn't doesn't pay long term. Um, and so that's part of you know the accountability of the coach. And you know, I I need I need that that that's mm-hmm. I still need that. And you know, to this week, you know, like not doing too much, etc. But you know, I've I've kind of have this battle of like I'm looking forward to in a way sometimes to like have it be a little bit more fun based and not be worried about being as fast and efficient. But it's also like, if I want to have fun for as long as I possibly can, I need to, to have that portion, you know, covered, you know, not just do fun adventure runs, but uh, it's a balance. And right now it's all about, you know, I want to see what I can do in these last, you know, few years before I get to the Mm -hmm. point where, you know, I start to each year lose that speed, which I'm doing. Um, and you know, the hundred mile that's really tough is, is my place. And then, you know, maybe two hundreds will be, you know, in the future too. But I, I, uh, I also kind of look forward to someday being retired and just being able to have fun and, and not pound myself with the, 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 the strides and the intervals every week. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, <clears throat> Before we get too far, you know, along this conversation, I want to make sure that we take some time to talk a little bit about your, I guess it's not so recent, recent, um, ACL injury that you had in February of 2021. So as you know, Carolyn and I are both, um, have physiotherapist backgrounds. And so we're really intrigued about this part of your story. You've made an incredible comeback in what I know very intimately is a very short period of time relative to most people's recovery from from ACL injury and repair. So maybe just tell us a little bit about how it happened and then what, you know, what it's been like being not just an athlete, but a pro athlete that makes his living off of running, returning um, to competition after this injury. That's a big question, but I'll just let you run with it. Yeah. It's, uh, it's been a wild, wild year. The, this is the first time in my life since, uh, you know, I've been a runner since, you know, I was in my teenage years that I've missed more than I think six, seven weeks of running because of an injury. Um, and with that said, you know, hard workouts, racing, I've, I've raced every year of my life since I was 16 and I was skiing going too fast, really having a good time. First run of the day. And I just landed so hard that my knee just exploded basically. And my, my thigh bone, my femur would just went, had so much force in the forward direction. And my, my, my foot landed in such a way that I, uh, you know, it stopped that force and the ACL gave. So long story short, I had surgery in March and, um, you know, I've, I've had incredible success and luck and then also, you know, hard work to be able to get quickly to places that the doctor said you are the, you know, 99% of all the, the research and studies and clients that they've had have not been able to do these kind of things. But uh, in December, I started skiing again. Actually, November, I started skiing again on top of training and really just 
did too much. And what happened is uh, my my teletendon on that knee got some tendonitis from all the hard work and it, the, the, the quads not being big enough to hold, the, you know, s- sustain that kind of work. So I had to take, uh, you know, it ended up being almost three months to get back to where I was when I got the tendonitis. And then in March, when I was making great progress, I fell on my hip and on the ice. Yeah, I know on the ice right in front of my house, unfortunately. And I, I being as stubborn as I, I am, I, I continued to run because I wanted to get an 80 mile week and I ran 14 or 15 or 16 miles on it, which really damaged the muscle. Um, pretty dumb, but that set me back a month. So now fast forwarding to June, I am finally feeling that, you know, it's kind of a label. It's hard to kind of put labels on fitness and things for each individual athlete. But for me, it's the first time that I felt that, you know, competent fitness to be a professional level competitor. You know, I've run a hundred K in, 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 uh, last month, uh, mm-hmm. you know, completed it and did okay and was fourth, but I've, I finally come into that fitness and it's been so hard and it's been the best thing for me to practice being in the moment, trusting the process, being satisfied for, you know, it's been 15 months now with not being able to perform, but rather being happy with the process of running and running. Um, what it means to me and how valuable that is, if that makes sense. Has that been hard for you? Like, was it hard to make that, make sure you, you stayed in that mental open state or was it a bit of a challenge? It absolutely is a challenge, (laughs) but I've had, you know, a, a master's level experience of doing that, being in the moment, the patience that's required for a, a distance runner particularly an ultra mountain distance runner and, you know, specializing in the longest of the races to be patient and be in the moment and celebrate that is, is, and then also being a coach for the last five or six years, practicing what I preach has, it's been, it's been, it's been massive. And then also uh, some other stuff that I went through in COVID about being able to, to kind of quiet anxiety and being able to, you know, be able to turn that voice off in my head and, and love myself and not be chasing, chasing, you know, like, like human nature for, for most people is to, to kind of let that go when it, when it becomes counterproductive. We just had on a, uh, ultra, a Canadian ultra runner. I'm not sure if you've heard of him, Dave Proctor, and uh, he's running across Canada as we speak. He's like, yes just crushing it actually, but he was talking about the art of non-striving. You stole the words out of my mouth, Carolyn. I was just (laughs) going to mention that. I'm like, he sounds just like Proctor right now. (laughs) Yeah. So talk to us about that. Does that ring true for you? First of all, like, you know, we're in a sport where we get measured and judged on our time and our placement and all this. And you're, and like we said, your livelihood depends on it. So to some degree, the outcomes really do matter. And yet, I think the nuance of it is that we can't be attached to the outcomes or, or striving too hard for them at any given time. So what's your journey been like with that, getting to a place or learning the tools, especially to um, not strive so hard? 
Yes. You, you know, it, it, it sounds cheesy and I've heard it, you know, my whole life, you know, it's the, it's the, the journey, not the destination, all of these things. And while I rationally understood that for me, you know, in my life and my upbringing and, you know, my kind of situation, it, that was hard. That, that was really, really difficult. And, you know, I, good and bad, I've had a lot of, you know, success, you know, graduating college, being in the military, becoming all, all these different things and, and with running as well. But, uh, you know, with, with a robust body that didn't get injured, but I, you know, finally, you know, with the help of, 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 of a, a handful of different things. And I mentioned in the COVID, I had some relationship stuff that I really had to face some of my like self-worth and self-love and, and saying that I'm enough and then the anxiety of, of uh, you know, just always going and, and striving to just get more, do more, be better. Uh, I, I think that the, some of the tools for specifically for trail ultra running and running in general has been, um, one has been working for the last five years with, with David Roach. And, and one of the keys was with him is perceived effort. Instead of chasing pace and mile metrics, kilometer metrics, altitude vert metrics, in training, I was able to actually listen to myself. And that not only was more healthy and made me faster, it also helped me focus on what's more important. And, you know, I've, I'm about to join again, so it's a little bit funny to say this, but you know, I haven't been on Strava really in this last year. I, I uploaded some stuff. Comparison is a, a joy thief, and um, there are people. There's tons of people that can, you know, look at that and be conscious of of like you know not letting it steal that you know the, the gratification, and then also change what I'm doing with myself or like try to be something that I shouldn't be or do something I shouldn't do. And so that has been huge perceived effort, you know, not working on pace and, you know, all these different metrics that we, we tend to look to, they're important informations, you, you know, HRV, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, but really just understanding that process. And so like, like I said, this was kind of the the thesis of a lot of this work for decades of maturing to a point where I could basically handle me as a person something so devastating like this as a pro athlete, as you know, as you said, livelihood. You know, I do have race directing and coaching, but this was, you know, my 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 daily who I am quite a bit and what I do, and to have that taken away was so challenging. Well, you've certainly um, been making a very steady, with a few blips in the road, comeback over the last 14 to 15 months. And I know you have some very big goals for this summer in Europe, both with the Iger Trail and heading back to UTMB. How are you feeling about all of that? Are you are you feeling confident? I am. I am feeling confident. And it's been my goal, UTMB, for um, since before the injury, for this year specifically, and also to go up there and, and do something special. And, you know, I have ambitions to be in that on that podium for sure. And I believe in that. And, you know, it it it, it has been tough with those setbacks. You know, last summer, it really looked like, you know, I was going to be able to do something, you know, get into that fitness that I talked about a little bit earlier in, in the winter, 
and you know, and uh, that has been pushed back. And right now, I'm just on that path to just being able to make it. I, I, that's how you know, to being being realistic, rational, and then also believing in my like fortitude of mental and and uh, emotional strength to to do well at 100, which is. As we know, I hope we know it, that's so so huge. And these once you get past five hours, ten hours, fifteen, twenty hours, it, it, it's not about as much the training, run economy, natural talent, and all that stuff. But yeah, you know, I'm doing a training race uh, this uh, in a few days uh, in Utah. And oh, okay. Then- Which one is that? It's called Logan Peak. It's it's actually on okay. Saturday. It's 28 miles. It's on top of. Uh, one of my hardest weeks I've, I've, and then two weeks before that as well. So it's truly a training race, but it'll be a good test. And then, you know, I leave July 10th for Europe. Like I said, Iger, big stepping mm-hmm. stone. And mm-hmm. then UTMB is really where UTMB. get on that so, podium. Yeah. So this year, you know, as we know, there's never been a U.S. male win UTMB. Um, You've said that comparison is the thief of joy. Um, Jim Walsey's moved over there to make a strong bid as well. Um, It Mm -hmm. sounds like it might be quite an exciting race to watch this year for those of us in North America. How and are you being able to just stay in your own game and and not let what's happening with everybody else distract you from your mission this year. You know, uh, rewind to last time I ran the the UTMB. I was I was nineteenth and first American, and you know, a few hours back from goal and 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 you know, you know, top three or something like that. Um, my coach told me, David told me at that you know after that race, and he's like, hey. You are a runner that, you know, you should go out there for the win with with this UTMB and with all races. You're at that place for this kind of race. And, um, you know, it's it's such a tough thing because I am 44. And so going into, you know, you know, dipping into, you know, lactate threshold, LT2, those kind of things, it, it's too costly. And so, you know, it's 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 a challenge to balance that but i've always been pretty dang good at relaxing that first half and you know core my ears where the the you know i i start to really kind of you know no pass it's time to go and you know core my ears where you know half the elite field for the for at least the last 5 years has has fallen off right. and you know that's you know it, Comparison is is a thief oftentimes, but it is, you know, something to be aware of uh, or for some people, you know, maybe maybe just don't focus on that at all. But for me, you know, I know Jim. I've run with Jim. I know what Jim can do. I've seen it in practice and he does have, uh, you know, a supernatural ability like Killian. And, you know, I'm not going to go and try to run with Jim. Uh, frankly, I, I think Jim can run under 20 hours and, uh, maybe he'll do that, but that's, that's the hundred it's, uh, go and see. So, um, you know, Jim, Jim is the one super special one in that, that race along with Killian, obviously, but besides those two guys, I'm not really scared to run with anybody else or feel like I shouldn't. And so that's exactly what I'll do and, and keep that mindset and run every 
kilometer as best at my pace as I possibly can. Yeah. Yeah. Um, everybody has different running styles. Some go out hard in the beginning and just run until they can't anymore. UTMB has shown that that strategy has not been highly successful for a lot of people. So, um, yeah, it'll be a really interesting, um, year and I'm, you know, you being back now after several times have some wisdom and some knowledge of the course. And also, as you said, some life experience, some maturity, um, as you approach running, um, even the lessons that you've learned in the last uh, year and a half since your injury. So good luck. It's going to be exciting to watch. And now, uh, earlier in the episode, Jason, you were talking about a tie with Killian Journey at a different race. Was that the Hard Rock 100? Uh, do you mind briefly telling us about that? Because again, for people who don't know Killian Journey, uh, just a legend, right, in the sport. And, and the two of you ended up, for lack of a better term, like holding hands and finishing a race together. So what was that like? That was really special. And, you know, Hard Rock's right in my backyard here in Durango, the San Juans. It's uh, the kind of running that I'm, I feel like I'm, I, I have the most passion and joy for, and I, I can, I can do it well. Uh, coming into this, it was, it was my first Hard Rock. I had skied the Hard Rock that winter before. It was in great shape. Um, I basically came into that race and Xavier, uh, a Frenchman, who's won UTMB, I think, three times in all the races once. He was there as well. Um, and he was a, a, a big competition as, as well. And, and, you know, we I ran with Killian and Xavier all the way from basically the start until Ure, coming down into Ure, which is close to halfway. And they, they left me. And it was the heat, the hottest I think, I can't remember exactly, but it was one of the hottest days ever at, at Hard Rock. And Ure is the lowest point in the course, the hottest place, and right in the middle of the day. And coming into there, those guys got me by quite a bit. And, you know, I was starting to say, hey, third place would be awesome next to these legends. You know, both of them who won UTMB and, and every other race. And Killian really is the, 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 the best runner of our generation. Uh, for trail any distance. So, you know, mad respect for that. I started to catch up on the longest climb is out of your, you know, it's 5,000 feet uh, in one go. And I started to be able to see these guys up ahead of me. And, you know, I ran extraordinarily well, revived, came back, passed Xavier. He was, you know, suffering pretty good. He ended up finishing an hour behind us in the end. But when I caught up to Killian, I was maybe like 15, 20 seconds behind him. And he stopped at the high point in the course, Handy's Peak, which is a 14,000 foot peak. And I, my initial reaction was like, oh, no, I don't want to, to run with Killian. I want to pass Killian because <laughs> Killian is, is so good and he is so confident. He, he oftentimes will, in, in, in the past, he has run with people because just for the entertainment it, and it is more fun and it, he just likes that. And then, you know, at some point at the end of the race, he just takes off and crushes them. And I was like, I do not want to be entertainment for this guy. I don't care if he's my hero. <laughs> uh, I'm not that much of a fanboy. And so, I, you know, the first, first time we hung out we, we in the race, we talked about skiing, about, you know, the San Juans and had some great conversation. 
when I, when he, in this point in the race, you know, 60 some miles into it, I was just like, I didn't even talk to him. And I told my pacer that. And so I, I tolerated it and we ran and we ran. And then 10 miles, 15 miles later, it, it just became obvious that we were both pushing and, and both just kind of right at that same spot for, for pace and effort. And I couldn't pass him. He was running the pace he wanted to, it felt like, and, you know, talking to him afterwards, it was, and, you know, we, we ended up starting to take a lot longer at aid stations because there was nobody close to us. And we, you know, we just kind of looked over and had this agreement, let's go ahead and eat, you know, let's have, we ate bacon at one aid station and things, things they usually don't do even in a hundred mile when things are going well. And, um, it became a camaraderie. And then, you know, I helped him with some navigation in some of the difficult parts in the, in the dark. Likewise, he helped me and, you know, we kind of became a team, but we never really talked about, Oh, we're running together. Oh, isn't this cute? Or, you know, like let, let's finish together. Never was a conversation. The last aid station uh, at Cunningham, which is 8.9 miles from the finish we both sit down, we go, our, our crew is in two different spots in the aid station and we're getting all ready. And I'm like, Hey, what, where's Killian? What is, has he left yet? And, you know, I was very concerned and like wanted to continue with him and didn't want to leave before him. And he, I, I, I got done adjusting some stuff and I walked up to him and he's like, Hey, you go ahead, just go ahead. And you win, you know, you run, run to the, to the finish, go for this you know, cause I, you know, I feel like you can do it. And, uh, you know, I looked at him and I'm like, no, 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 you go, you are Killian, you know? And he's like, I don't see the point in like trying to beat each other by 10, 20 seconds after running for the entire night. You know, this is like less than 10, nine miles to go. And he's like, let's, uh, I I'm okay with, you know, working together and finishing this. And I, and I said, awesome, let's go. We ran, we, we lost a pacer because we started to run so fast on the downhill. Um, Emily Forsberg, um, who's obviously fast. And, um, we, and, and at, at one point, my pacer said, hey, we can go under 23 hours, which he's the only person that's ever done that um, until this last year. And uh, he's like, yes, it, we must, is the, directly what he said. And we ended up running like sub seven for some of these miles at mile 90, whatever, and came through and it was a celebration. It was great. And uh, I wasn't a, a pawn or an entertainment. And uh, <laughs> we, we had, like I said, we'd spent a lot of time in the aid station. And we, if we would have run the first half more aggressively and not spent so much time in the aid station, you know, we would have likely been under his course record that he set the year before, which it was just like 12 minutes faster. So it was, it was a really awesome experience. I, I, it's, it's a special story for sure. Yeah. yeah. That, that's a story that you'll be able to tell for the rest of your life that, mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Wow. Okay. So as we, as we bring this episode to a close, do you have any last words for somebody who has big goals and maybe experienced some setbacks, um, and is just about to come out on the other side? Um, you know, it, I would say my suggestion and recommendation, and this is kind of general, even even for just anybody, even if they don't have setbacks, is uh, 
endurance running is a long game. Um, and if you get caught speeding, it, 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 it takes, you know, takes you out, you know, for performance, but it also, it's, it's just not as much fun. I, and I feel like the patience and enjoying the moment and then the, the kind of like, uh, confidence and belief in yourself and understanding that, you know, it takes three, five, you know, depending on the person and their background, you know, it, it takes a long time to realize potential. And there's so much changing with the sport, with nutrition um, and, and, and training philosophies and all this kind of stuff. It's exciting and fun. And for everybody, there's so much more to be to be uh, to realized. And even if there wasn't, uh, you know, just being in the moment, like I said, and just, you know, just being able to see that progress and that growth and, uh, you know, overcoming is, is where the, the, the goodness is, not in some measurable finish at some race or compared to your friend or whatever or what you did 10 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. So. Very, very, very wise words indeed. So if uh, we wanted to follow along with your journey and everything that you're up to and your UTMB uh, coming up this summer, uh, where would you like to point people to? You know, where I spend most time is on, on Instagram. Yeah, the Instagram is where I, I share my, my, my feelings and thoughts and, and uh, awesome. my journey the most. And some amazing pictures. Summit pictures. Yeah, yeah. It's been fun to be able to actually get up high and do some cool, fun stuff more. And so, like I said, it's it's only a matter of weeks before we're going to go to the Alps, which I think is just such a wonderland. So I'm excited to to share a lot of that story and, yes. and journey with my son for seven weeks. Oh, amazing. Well, um, enjoy the journey. Uh, good luck. Have fun. And it will be exciting to follow along. Thanks for joining us, Jason. Yeah, thank you for having me. It's been a joy. It's been a pleasure. 